From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for February 7, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, we hear a conversation between Patrick Center and Joshua Lunger about two proposed Michigan House bills. Also, the Helen DeVos Children's Hospital is opening a new psychiatric unit this spring. A local law enforcement agency gets a new accreditation and more state and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. Helen DeVos Children's Hospital in Grand Rapids will be opening a new 12-bed medical psychiatric unit this spring. WGVU's David Limbaugh spoke with a representative from Corwell Health about the new center. This is actually extremely exciting because it's the first of its kind unit where we are bridging both the physical and mental health treatments for kids. Natalia Shigel is the vice president of behavioral health operations at Corwell Health. She says 50 to 80 percent of the patients they treat at Helen DeVos Children's Hospital experience worsening physical symptoms due to deficient mental health. When we treat their physical ailments but not effectively treat their mental health conditions, that just prolongs their uh, inability to have a fruitful, successful uh, life. Shigel says that for many years, Corwell Health has seen a greater need for patient care when it comes to mental health. The importance of healing the entire person, body and mind, was what led to the creation of this new unit. Not only do they hope to address the mental needs of their young patients, but the needs of their parents as well. We are developing appropriate programming to include our families so that once kids are discharged from the unit, they are successful at home. We want them engaging in social activities, going back to school, um, extracurricular activities, and we want them to have fruitful relationships with their families. The new unit is expected to open this May. I'm David Limbaugh. The head law enforcement agency in the state just earned accreditation after finishing a rigorous years-long process to show improvement. WGVU Steve Morrison explains. Accreditation is designed to ensure a police agency's methods, policies, procedures, and daily operations follow the highest standards of law enforcement. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel congratulated her Criminal Investigation Division on receiving accreditation through the Michigan Association of Chiefs of Police at a conference Tuesday in Grand Rapids. The Criminal Investigations Division is really looked upon as the highest ranking police agency in the state. So it's important for them to follow the very best practices which accreditation provides and it set an example for all the other agencies. It generally takes at least two years to go through the evaluations and hearings that examine all aspects of how a department operates. The CID developed guidelines on everything from security measures to evidence handling to community outreach. We've also successfully developed and implemented more than 19 training programs and certifications that incorporate best practices within law enforcement. Eleven other agencies received their first accreditation, including the Grand Rapids Community College Police Department, Kalamazoo County Sheriff's Department, and the Sturgis Department of Public Service. Agencies must undergo a renewal process every three years. This year, police departments in Kalamazoo, Muskegon, Portage, Zeeland, and at Western Michigan University renewed their accreditations. I'm Dee Morrison. While Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel was in Grand Rapids at the Association of Chiefs of Police conference yesterday, the verdict came down in the Jennifer Crumbly trial. WGVU asked the Attorney General for her reaction to the verdict. I think it was the right verdict. I think that the jury did the right thing. I thought the evidence was overwhelming. But let me say this. On February 13th, the safe and secure storage laws go into effect. And it will sort of make it irrelevant to have these types of cases anymore exactly like this because 
is it won't be a matter of having to show gross negligence that a parent didn't properly secure a weapon. It's strict liability, meaning you have to secure that weapon when there are minors that reside in the household or that you know frequently visit the household. Today is Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. Despite African Americans making up only 13% of the U.S. population, 2019 federal data shows that they account for more than 42% of HIV cases. WGVU's Kylie Ambu reports. In 2021, the United States estimated 1.2 million residents, aged 13 and older, had the human immunodeficiency virus. Referred to as HIV, the virus attacks the body's immune system, and if not treated, can lead to AIDS. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services show Black Americans are 7.8 times more likely to be diagnosed with HIV than white Americans. We're talking about unstable housing, racism, access to care. There's so many community factors or what we call syndemic factors that really impact what's happening around HIV in the Black community. Katie Hayes is the HHS Deputy Assistant Secretary for Infectious Disease. She says Black men often sit at the center of this conversation, but it's important to include Black women, who account for 54% of new female HIV cases. We want to talk about Black women because that's a community that significantly increases in HIV prevention, and very often Black women feel that they're overlooked. Hayes is supporting the HHS I'm a Work of Art campaign, which encourages people to seek care, stay in care, and achieve viral suppression by taking antiretroviral therapy, otherwise known as ART. It's community-informed and partners with HIV advocates like Alicia Trammell-McIntyre. For me, it shows people like myself living and thriving with HIV and engaging in the care to remain virally suppressed and just showing community support and community. Though HIV has no cure, treatment can provide long and healthy lives. The nationwide campaign aims to reduce new HIV infections by 90% come 2030. I'm Kylie Ambu. During her most recent State of the State address, Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced her plan for making community college free for all high school graduates. WGVU's David Limbaugh spoke to a representative with Grand Rapids Community College about what that would mean for the students and economy of West Michigan. The Michigan Reconnect program was launched in 2021 and helped high school graduates 25 years or older cover the costs of earning an associate degree or certificate through community college. Recently, the legislature temporarily reduced the minimum age to 21. Now the governor is proposing that a high school graduate of any age should be able to attend community college tuition-free. Jason Schuler with Grand Rapids Community College says such a program would greatly benefit not only GRCC, but the West Michigan community as a whole. As a community here in Grand Rapids and in West Michigan, Kent County, to help with the labor shortage, especially in the skilled trade areas. Under the governor's proposal, eligible students must have lived in Michigan for at least one year prior to enrollment, must have a high school diploma, and cannot have previously completed a college degree. Students would have up to three years to obtain their associate's degree. Schuler says they've seen their enrollment increase at GRCC since 2021, and the lifting of this age restriction will only help the school and the state. It's going to increase those numbers for the governor's goal of 60% of Michigan residents with a post-secondary degree by 2030, which is not only her goal, but a goal of a lot of industry leaders and employers, too, to help boost up our, our workforce and our skill force. Details on how the program will be funded could 
come during the governor's budget presentation to the state legislature today. I'm David Limbaugh. Domicology isn't a word you hear every day, but you may hear it more often. It's a study of the life cycle of buildings. WGVU's Dee Morrison explains it's a new focus for Michigan's Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. Rhonda Oyer talks trash every day. But I hope I talk you about trash in a different way and make you think a little bit about the sustainable materials management continuum and if there's a better way that you can use your materials. As the manager of the solid waste section of Michigan's materials management division, Oyer is part of the shift in her department from landfill disposal to materials management after a revamping of the statutes in 2023. Reduce, reuse things, recycle things, repurpose, and reclaim whatever we can, and then at the very end, whatever little bit is left, then that is what should go to a landfill. And her focus is largely buildings, getting people to think about creating new ones with recyclable materials and deconstructing old ones with an eye for reuse. She encourages communities to begin working on the concept. Put together an ordinance that would require, if a building is going to be demolished, that first it be looked at for either refurbishment or deconstruction, so those materials would be available to Thinking about domicology in this way is a new concept for many commercial builders and city planners. It is trying to get this concept out there that people start thinking of these things up front. For more on domicology, Oyer suggests people visit the new exhibition at the Michigan State University Sandbox Gallery in East Lansing. I'm Dee Morrison. Michigan's governor and state legislature would be subject to Freedom of Information Act requests under a bill package heard in a Senate committee today. The bills would give the public access to information like a lawmaker's official calendar or correspondence with lobbyists. Democratic State Senator Jeremy Moss says they would be a major step toward greater transparency within state government. We've all endured over the last several years here from this legislature ethical questions at best and criminal activity at worst that have made headlines across our state. Those actions from bad actors were only made possible by the dark areas in our law in which they could exist. The governor's office says it would like to see any open records policies applied equally between the legislature and governor. Some advocacy groups have raised concerns about whether some exemptions listed in the bills would be overly broad. Governor Gretchen Whitmer formally rolled out her new budget proposal for the state's coming fiscal year. It calls for more funding for K-12 schools, community colleges, and public universities. The governor said tuition-free education through two years of community college will help retain and attract young people. She also said it would help fill the demand for workers. The skills of our workforce is the very first question anyone asks. Much, much more important than than anything else they raise, which they want to talk about utility costs, they want to talk about tax structure, etc., The first and most important question is skills attainment. The governor's budget also proposes subsidies to help with housing costs and money to reduce the backlog of Michigan Department of Civil Rights investigations into discrimination complaints. The legislature must adopt a budget before the new fiscal year begins on October 1st. Funded by listeners, WGVU-NPR delivers essential national and local reporting in West Michigan. Become a sustaining member with a monthly donation at wgvu.org donate. Thank you.
In October 2023, two Michigan House bills were introduced by two West Michigan lawmakers. They would raise money for Kent County's transformational projects, including the $184 million Acresure Amphitheater and an 8,500-seat professional soccer stadium. Both facilities are slated to open in 2026. The two lodging tax bills would allow for local and county governments to increase the tax rate on hotel stays. Months have passed and Governor Gretchen Whitmer has yet to sign off on the measures that would face voter approval. Back in October, WGVU's Patrick Center spoke with Josh Lunger. He's the Vice President of Government Affairs with the Grand Rapids Chamber, and he told us that he was optimistic there would be a resolution. One of our top priorities, I think it's top priority for a lot of folks, is really making sure that we execute on these big projects that Grand Action and other partners like the city and the county and, you know, frankly, a lot of other local groups have been trying to get done. And that's this amphitheater and it's a soccer stadium. It's whatever comes next. And with all the private money, you know, you've seen the announcement for Acquisure sponsoring the amphitheater. They're working on the private funding for the soccer stadium and still raising capital there. But with all the private funding, this is a private-public partnership. And as this was being moved forward, I think a lot of folks saw how we accomplished the DeVos place in the Venando Arena and said, you know, that was a responsible way to do this and are looking at the hotel-motel excise tax as the best way to back the bonds that would be the public financing component of these transformational projects. What makes that the ideal way to raise funds? We have a history of doing it and doing it well. You know, it's kind of a user fee in a lot of ways, right? Folks are going to come here, they're going to benefit from these world-class amenities, and it's proven to work. One has already paid off the arena. The DeVos place is, I believe, going to be paid off in the next uh, less than 10 years. And so we know that it's a proven commodity here, along with our ability to pull off these kinds of projects as a public-private partnership. So when you look at local options, uh, this is a really good way to do it. What we like about this is what the state authorize still a local decision. So if it's a city or a county decision, depending on which bill passes or how they pass, it still has to be approved by those commissions, and then it still has to go before the voters. And so you're going to have to make the case to people why there's going to be public oversight of this, and I think there's going to be a lot of excitement to get behind this. It's really a pretty simple decision in our mind, and we've had strongest support for not just these projects, but for this method of making sure that we can responsibly back the bonds. Both of these projects are on the fast track, right? I mean, AcroSure, we're going to break ground on the amphitheater yeah. next year. <laughs> I spoke with Kara Wood, and she said, hey, we want this soccer stadium open and ready to go in 2026. It's a tight window to get it on the ballot, and then you're going to have to pass that. We're doing one step at a time, right? You're right. They're, they're on the fast track. But when you say that, I mean, I've been impressed by how much collaboration, hard work has to go into pulling off something like this. Grand Action, the city, the county, I mean, elected appointed officials are working hard. Their teams are working hard to do something that is going to be transformational for our entire region. The economic impact goes well beyond the city, uh, well beyond the county. And we got to get behind it fully. So this is a many hands in the pie, but I'm really excited for it. That being said, the timeline is tight. I mean, we really need Lansing to get these bills through to the governor as soon as possible. Because when you start talking about, okay, well, then the commissions, whatever commission has to approve, it has to approve, it has to go before the voters. What the tight timelines are looking at, we really don't have a ton of time to work with, especially when we know the legislature is looking at adjourning fairly early, honestly, fairly soon this year still. If we get it passed now, we've got 
flexibility. Obviously, you've got to have conversations with the elected officials that have to make these decisions. They want to talk to their constituents, and then you've got to have time to run a, a campaign to let people know what's going on. I feel pretty confident that public support would be there. We, I think there'd be a lot of support for that campaign. But we're kind of tackling it one item at a time. And the first thing that we need to do is get this legislation out of the House, through the Senate, to the governor. And then we can start talking about the timing of all these other things. You know, the amphitheater's got a lot of the capital it needs to get started. Grant actually knows a lot more about the actual pulling this off than I do. We're just trying to support it in our role. You know, the soccer stadium's a little bit further behind because it's a second project, but this would be a huge way to make sure that they're able to move forward on a faster timeline, which is ideal, again, given that 2026 targeted start date uh, and the important reasons for trying to target that. Do you know the difference between the two bills that are being looked at? Yeah, one one is authorizing cities of certain sizes to uh, create a 2% city-only so within the city boundaries, hotel excise tax. The other allows the counties that can authorize it right now. So it's, I think it's 10. So forgive me if I'm off by one. To have a, a max of 10% instead of five. Kent County would not need that full 5% at this time for these projects. They're estimating that an 8% would be sufficient. And again, as we get to that decision point, you know, we'd have more information. We'd have more details about the, you know, the lead donors and the, what other private capital is being invested to make sure that we're doing the best mix of private and public in this partnership. You know, the county bill um, raises significant more capital because about half the money that's raised in Kent County comes from outside of the city of Grand Rapids from hotels. And we know there's a benefit. And again, that you can go to CAA or you can talk to Grand Action. They have a lot more data than I have at my fingertips right now. But we're supporting both of these bills. And it, whichever way gets something done so we can move forward, I think when people start to learn more about these projects, they rightfully get very excited because it's going to be a generational impact. This is that next leap for West Michigan. And so if it comes down to like, we have to have one, you know, we have to get something done because this is an important component. I think the county bill is more long-term and it gives more flexibility, but I also am supporting the city effort because if that's what has the ability to get passed, it's also going to help. And so if both were to pass, which is probably a, a little bit of a long shot, then you can start to have that conversation about what what's the best way to fund these projects and make the best responsible decision. But we need the authority to do it before we can even start talking about, you know, getting into the details of who, what, when, where, why, and how. Or I guess not how, but about the timing of all those decisions. These projects are moving forward regardless. Even if this doesn't happen, somehow, some way, the, the dollars will be there. Is that the approach? Well, I mean, that's a question for Grand Action. You know, again, I'm impressed by the complexity of what all the partners in this effort are trying to pull off. I mean, it is hard. We're, they're raising you know, tens of millions of private capital, private investments, and they're getting permits and they're moving off the site. And I mean, the, the checklist is, is massive. It, pulling off these big projects, it, it's not like you just, it's a foregone conclusion it's gonna get done. And I think we need to take it seriously that um, this is a big opportunity for all of us and let's do whatever it takes to get it done. I know the amphitheater is pretty secure. I think if this were to all fall apart, I think you start to worry about how does that impact the timing of construction for the soccer stadium. But again, that's a grand action question. That's that's for those leaders that are really invested in that full time to figure out. I'm just trying to do what our members and our board has said, and that's we think that this hotel motel excise tax is the best way to get this done, given the track record. And so we're trying to get that done in the next month to give grand action, the city and county, frankly, the ability to consider these options for public financing. Josh Lunger, Grand Rapids Chamber. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick.
This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for February 7, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling, and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.